Welcome to the Simple Gospel Church Podcast. Raising a generation that will stand for Christ. Today we have a new theme before us, as we often do here. We, every month, we, we renew our, ourselves by looking at a different portion or aspect of Scripture or the Bible. And throughout November, we'll be looking at the church and its king. And the theme for today's particular meeting is birthed by a king. I want us to say birthed by a king. Birthed means to be given birth to, right? I'd like us to open our Bibles to Colossians chapter 1 from verse 13 to 18. says he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of his of the son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins he is the image of the invisible god the firstborn of all creation for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the what? Preeminence. Can we also open to Revelation chapter 19 from verse 11 to Revelation nineteen eleven to sixteen. Revelation nineteen eleven to sixteen says, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold a white horse, and he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one except himself, that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in the heavens, clothed in fine linen, <coughs> white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. Now we say they should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of what? Of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of the Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his tie a name written. What's that name? King of kings and Lord of what? Of lords. Amen. These are my anchor scriptures for today's message. They lift up all that we're going to be speaking about today. You see, the thing is that as much as these two scriptures seem like they're talking about different things, they are very related. Colossians chapter 1 speaks 
about our present reality. It says that he has rescued us from the kingdom of what? Of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. And it goes on and on to tell you what you are and what you've been given in Christ. Colossians chapter 1 from verse 13 to 8 speaks to us about what we are experiencing right now as a church and our relationship with the Lord of that church, Jesus. But it also gives us a glimpse into the future by telling us the power that is at work in the salvation that we have received. It is from there that he starts to speak about the things that you read from verse 15 to verse 18. Because it doesn't just stop there. It says, is the image of the, the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things they may have what? Preeminence. All of that tells you the power that is at work in the Christ that gives you this salvation. But right now we are not relating with Jesus as a king. Are we? I'm asking you. Are you currently relating with Jesus as king? You might say he's king of your life. That might be true. But in the current dispensation, we're in the dispensation of the church. Right? He's not ruling over all the earth yet. That is a future reality that is going to take place in where? In Revelation. That's what we read in Revelation chapter 19. When he will come down on his white horse and the armies of heaven will follow him. And then he will come and reign as king of kings and lord of lords. And we would also reign with him in his kingdom. But right now, the church is kind of an outpost of the kingdom. We are here in foreign land, in foreign territory, under foreign rule. We are strangers in a land that does not really understand us because we are living our lives by a totally and completely different creed. Amen? Are we together? I was speaking to, is it, yes, it was yesterday, I was talking to mommy and daddy, we were speaking about, I just made a comment to them and they were, were just explaining, so I, I got a call from, a message from, from my wife and she told me that they were doing a sort of orientation for them in the hospital and the or orientation is how to take care of your Muslim, how to cater to your Muslim patients, right? Now, on the surface, you might say, ah, it's medicine. Now, you just, I mean, there's nothing harmless, there's nothing harmful in it. And she was telling me over the phone how on the surface is good, but there was a lot of agenda under how to cater to your Muslim patients. And obviously, in time past, they have tried to do how to cater to the, um, all the alphabet people, LG, LG, whatever, patients, how to cater to these people, how to cater to that people. And we're talking, and I said, the only group of people that you will never ever hear in any society, how do we take care of them? Or who? The 
Christians. Nobody particularly cares about us. True or false? True. And it's not a surprise. It's not, it's not something that should shock you or make you feel bad. That's what Jesus said. That you are a stranger in this place. The systems of this world are never going to particularly agree with you or look out for your best interest. But no matter what is happening today in this present reality, even if we are still in the dispensation of the church, we must recognize that Christ is our redeemer, yes. He's our rescuer, yes. He's the one that saved us, yes. He's our master and teacher, as our, his disciples called him. But Christ is also your king. He's a king. He's a what? He's a king. It's the kingship of Jesus and how that relates with us that we are going to examine this month. Because when you recognize that Jesus is king, then when we get to how we are witnesses of the king or how we are hated because of the king, it will make more sense to you that this is not just a mere boss in your office. Eh? It's not just a mere elder that you respect on this earth. He's king. And he's not just king. He's king of kings. He's lord of lords. I used to work for a, a self-professed billionaire in this country a while back. Although technically he's a millionaire, right? And in that office, I realized that one of the reasons why I did not last long is because whether consciously or unconsciously, I refused to treat him like a king because he demanded some form of worship because he had money and so beyond the duties that you have as a staff there are still some other extracurricular unwritten and unspoken duties that you need to do to pay some form of obeisance to him because he's the one that is paying your salary. And the salary is, in air quotes, plenty. At least compared to what other people are earning in Nigeria. And some of my colleagues who claim to be Christian got to a point where they willingly f f had to forego religious commitment in terms of Sunday, you have to be in church because the office obviously does not recognize any form of religious commitment. And when I say any form, if you really dig deep, it is the Christian one that they don't really recognize. And so many people resume in, at work on Sunday or are forced to do some form of work at home on Sundays. And Christians, because of what to eat, 
would find a way to and uh, back then it hasn't become this crazy now but online church had become started gaining a lot of what popularity and all that so back then christians now started to find a way to open two tabs on their laptop one tab is to watch the service that is just one hour another tab is to continue doing the work that does not end throughout that day anyway why because one of them pays your what your income and is responsible for how you think you survive day by day but if only these people realize that jesus is what is king That if Jesus should say, okay, it's time for you to stop breathing, that's the end. And so, us being able to recalibrate our identity in Christ through that royal perspective is what we are going to be doing today as introduction. The entirety of this series will be looking at the Christians in the early church. And we're going to be looking at some of the things that they did and how they acted in the book of Acts and some of the letters that we have in the New Testament. But that really is not the focus of today. Because we first, re- we first need to know what it means to be birthed by what? By a king. That the king gave birth to us. That when Jesus rose up from the grave after paying that sacrifice on the cross, and he met with his disciples and he said, Receive ye the Holy Spirit in the book of John. Immediately he did that, the church was born. And was born by a resurrected king. So what does that mean for you? We're going to be making some affirmations today. I will be telling you to say some things. And then I would explain what it means for you. The attitude that you should have. We're going to be looking at some of the precepts of salvation. Some of the foundational principles of salvation. That you cannot understand salvation without it. There are many, but we're going to look at just three. So, for example, you cannot understand salvation without understanding incarnation. What is incarnation? The fact that God had to come in the form of a flesh. So, if you don't understand why he had to come as a man, your understanding of salvation is faulty. But there are three that we commonly know that we'll talk about. The first is redemption, right? The second is justification. And the third is adoption these are the three that i want us to look at today now we'll look at these principles and we'll look at what they mean for us so for redemption what does redemption mean let's the statement i want to make is i want you to say after me the king of kings paid the price for my sins the king of kings paid the price for my sins And he bought me with his blood. It was not just any human being that paid this price. It wasn't just any God that paid this price. It wasn't just any king that paid this price. It was the king of kings that paid the price for your sins. That's what it means to be redeemed. To be redeemed means that there's a substitution that has taken place. And what was supposed to be your fate, someone has bought that fate away from you. Someone essentially paid the price for your demise. That's redemption. The king of kings as what? Has paid the price. He paid the price for my sins. So if the king of kings paid the price for my sins, 
the question really is what should be my attitude i want us to read the first peter 17 chapter 1 from verse 17 to 25 you'd see what peter says is supposed to be our attitude and response to the king of kings paying the price for us And he says, if you call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in what? In fear. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by the traditions from your fathers, but with the precious blood of who? of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world but was manifest in these last times for you who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently being born again not of corruptible seed but of incorruptible by the word of god which liveth and what and abideth forever go on for all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of grass the grass withereth and the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached to unto you, unto you. Peter said that he told them that there are some things that they have to do, or there are some ways that they have to conduct themselves. And Peter's entire reason for what he was saying was that. You have to realize that you've been redeemed not by corruptible things. He said you were not purchased by mere silver and gold. This is something that they understood very well back then because they understood the concept of being a slave, right? And if there was a slave and they passed through town and the slave masters who captured these slaves brought these slaves, essentially, if you were to buy a slave, you would check the slave you check if the slave had any defects. You check if the slave had any problems. So, for example, if a slave was malnourished or if a slave was not strong enough or if a slave, depending on what the master wanted to use the slave for, if the slave did not really fit that purpose but the master had no choice but to buy that slave, the slave would, would be priced down by the person that wants to buy and the person that wants to sell also, it will depend on how much that person needs that money at that point in time. And so they negotiate on the life of a human being. And they purchase and they go. But if a slave master has a slave that is strong and hearty and stocky, he considers that slave to be a priced what? Possession. Because he knows that when he takes the slave into town and all the wealthy men and men and women of affluence come out and they see that slave, then it becomes a bidding war of sorts and he or she can make more money. That's what happened in that time. 
That's what happened with human lives. And so what they paid really just depended on the quality of that slave. And some paid in precious silver, some paid in precious gold. So this was language that the people that Peter was writing to, they could relate to it and they could understand because this was the situation back then. And Peter is telling them that you were not redeemed by things as corruptible as mere money, as mere silver or mere gold. You were bought by the blood of Jesus. You were bought by the King of Kings. And there are three major things he says about the attitude that you should have. The first thing he says is that you should conduct yourself with what? With fear. Conduct yourself with what? With fear. Now this fear is not being afraid. This fear is the utmost reverence that you have for God Almighty. Based on the fact that you have the recognition that you have been bought by blood. Conduct yourself with what? With fear. Another scripture says you should walk out your salvation with fear and what? And trembling. Anyone who does not have this fear, it will be very, very difficult for them to have the right attitude towards the redemption. You have to conduct yourself with fear. What does this mean? Every single thing that you do, every single action that you take, you must have it deep down within your consciousness that you don't belong to yourself anymore. That you don't belong to yourself anymore. You don't belong to you. You've been bought. You've been bought. You've been bought. Your life is not your own. You can't simply afford to do whatever it is that you want to do. Even if that thing is seemingly good to you. And again, Peter knows what he's saying because he has used an analogy that, that is, is likened to slaves. And Peter knows that the minute that that slave is bought and goes to the master's house, he starts to live in complete what? Fear of that what? master because that master owns his or her life but you see we have not even been purchased by corruptible seed so there cannot be any corruption in our relationship with our own king because we've been bought by incorruptible seed so we don't get to live our lives anyhow because we've been bought by a king the next thing is that we need to purify ourselves or our souls through obedience. And obedience comes from the Holy Spirit. Obedience purifies us. How many of us know? Jesus said, you have been made clean by the words that I spoke to you. But didn't Judas hear those same words? He did. So why wasn't Judas one of the ones that were made clean by the same words that were spoken to him? Because the eleven that heard the words and obeyed and imbibed them, 
the word was able to do the work of purification in their lives. But Judas heard all the words and he did not obey. His heart was hardened towards them. So the words did lost the capacity to purify him. He just was there for the experience. And so we need to purify our souls in obedience through the Holy Spirit. It's very important. That's the second thing that Peter says. And the third thing that Peter says there is that we need to love the brethren with our heart. We need to love the family of God with our hearts because you are co-bought people. Christians need to stand by each other. Because there's nobody else in the world that is like you. We need to stand by what? By one another. Because there's nobody else that is like you. You are very different. You are different by virtue of the fact that the systems of this world are anti-you. And that's why we come here. That's why we fellowship. That's why we pray for one another. That's why we intercede for one another. That's why we do our best to help one another. Simply because we are alone apart from ourselves. Even blood cannot save you from this loneliness. Let one person in a family decide to give their life to Christ. We've had experiences in this church, many of you. Once one person says, okay, I'm following Jesus, that's when you know that blood is not thicker than anything. Blood is not thicker than water. Right? Because somebody has made a choice for Christ and the rest are not ready to make that same choice or make the choice to the same degree. And then Jesus gives you a new family like he said he's going to give you. He says, whoever loses father, mother, brother, or sister for my sake, that he will gain the same in this life and the life to come. And so our love for the brethren is because we are truly alone outside the brethren. I laugh at Christians who use the word friend for unbelievers. Is it that they are not truly living a Christian life? Or they've, they've not yet... Something has not happened that has made them realize that ah, this person is not my friend. Or it is impossible for me and this person to be friends. Even using the word friend for Christians is like this. <laughs> because there are different types of Christians in the world that we are today. So it's even like this. But at least there's more, there's more clarity there. But for an unbeliever, or someone that doesn't know Jesus... For you to want to reach out and say you are loving them to the way, in the same way you want to love those in the family, it's not, it's not possible. It's not what? Possible. Let me tell you why. Jesus said, when the scribe came to meet him, Jesus said, they asked him what's the greatest commandment. He said, the greatest commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And he said, the second is like this. It says, love your neighbor as yourself. A Christian has the capacity, capacity being the key word. We still have to live it out. 
But the Christian has the capacity to love every single aspect of another human being. Starting from the spirit, to the soul, to the body. An unbeliever can only love the soul and love the body. Because the unbeliever has no knowledge of the spirit. So, if someone in an office runs into problem or crisis in their life, if an unbeliever is approaching that problem, an unbeliever naturally will approach that problem from, let me try to make the person comfortable. That is what? Body, right? Or maybe the person has emotional distress. Let's encourage the person. Let's make the person feel better. That is what? Body and what? So, emotions, the mind. As a believer, if someone runs into a problem, your natural instinct is first to what? Take the person to God in prayer. That is the truest form of love because it starts from caring for that person's spirit. Chances are that when a believer runs into a situation in another believer's life, the believer is very concerned about, is the person a Christian? Right? Even when people bring situations to me or tell me this, that, this, that, my first natural instinct is, what is the person? Is the person a what? A believer. Because where the person is standing is going to determine what I believe, the degree of need the person has. Because there are some things that people bring to you that if the person is not a believer, it will be difficult for you to really handle it. As a believer, you know. Because the person needs to be saved. And so, the reason why you can't truly be friends with an unbeliever is because if that is your approach, you will meet people that will rebuff you. Right? And so when you step into a situation with an unbeliever, which is why I say that if, if a Christian is trying to keep an unbeliever close, that person is not yet living the true Christian life. Because something will make you say something about Jesus when they encounter crisis. And one of two things will happen. Is that decide, they decide to accept that Jesus that you're saying or they don't accept that Jesus that you're saying. And if they decide to accept that Jesus that you're saying, then the person becomes a Christian and you can now fully love the what? The person. But if the person chooses not to accept that Jesus that you're saying, the person is going to fight you. Either directly or indirectly. And so, we are still truly what? Alone. So for redemption, we have to love the family of God with a pure heart. The pure heart. And Paul was writing to the Corinthians. He was talking to them about how immature he believed they were. And one of the reasons why he said they were immature is because they could not settle their disputes among each other. At any time they have any disputes among themselves in the church, they will take it outside and let the whole world see their dirty linen. And Paul was saying, don't you know that you will judge what? You will judge angels. But why can't you have the wisdom of God to settle things among yourselves? Which is why I don't like hearing of Christians disgracing themselves in some manner outside. Pastor fighting pastor in public and they are yabbing each other online. Christian fighting is, is wrong because we are just embarrassing ourselves to the world. 
And then the world is looking at us and the world is saying, look at them. Because we are not following this. Let's continue. So that's redemption, yeah? The second precept is what? Is justification. Like I told you to say with redemption, say this, the king of kings has declared me innocent and righteous before God. Say it like you know it's true. Say it again. God of kings has declared me innocent and righteous before God. Let me op- let's open to Isaiah 50 verse 8 to 9. Then Romans 8 1, we all know it. There is therefore no condemnation for them that are in what? In Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. Isaiah chapter 50 verse 8 says, He is near that justifieth me. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is my what? Adversary. Let him come near to me. Verse 9. Behold, the Lord God will help me. Who is he that shall condemn me? Lo, they shall wax old as a garment. The moth shall what? Eat them up. That's a picture of justification. And this became fully fulfilled in the life of the believer when Jesus died. No one can contend with you. So what does this mean for you? What does justification mean for you? What's the attitude you should have? The first is that you should never be intimidated by the devil to run away from what? From God. You should never be what? Intimidated by the devil to run away from God. Many Christians have suffered this and have suffered this too much. And I don't know why. This is the bane of many in our generation and in our time. I spoke to somebody lately and I was like, I was asking him, what is wrong with you? You just disappear and appear and disappear and appear. Just, you're not stable. And the response he gave me is like, Billy, you know that you, you are, you are a man of God. And you are serving God. And your own path is straight. And I said, why can't your path be straight too? He goes to church, yo. If you ask him, some, this has happened to him. He might have given his life to Christ, but he doesn't know he's justified by a king. And then the devil uses the scare tactic, tactics to intimidate people out of church. I don't even know how he works. That the human being will get intimidated out of church to run away from God. Because of something. It's because they don't know they've been justified by a king. So in Victorian times and even in ancient times, there's something called the king's king's word, pardon. Have we read about it? When a king pardons someone, when a king pardons someone, it's a legally binding document. Because essentially, the king cannot pardon someone without signing with his ring, right? And once the king's insignia is on that document, that's the end. That's what? The end. 
as far as that thing is concerned in that land it doesn't exist and that's earthly kings not to talk of the heavenly king of kings never let what the devil intimidate you to run away from god very important second thing approach the lord with what with boldness approach the lord with what boldness hebrews 4 says what we should what we should come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and grace in our time of what time of need which is why the manner of prayer of some sex that we have is totally and completely wrong the mother church for example not the mother church it's the catholic church it's the mother church when it feels like we are appealing to god and begging him in some manner to try to cajole him and convince him if he will find it within his good pleasure and graces to do something for us and some christians still pray like that hmm? they still pray like that like God, if you can just have the time <laughs> to just consider this my request. They might not say it the way I'm saying it, but that's how they offer what? They are prayers to God. Like, I know that you are busy. You know, some people say this thing. And some people even say it in terms of, some people say it as jokes, but it contains an, an, an element of truth that is inside believers' lives. Some people say things like, do you know how many prayer points are going to God every day? You know how many people he has to cater to? Don't stress him with... <laughs> so some people now approach God with this whole... Please, you know. My own is... I know it's, it's just one thing I want. Approach the, the Lord with what? With boldness. Because you are not standing on your own rightness. You have been justified by what? By a king. So when you are going to him, you are not standing on your own righteousness. You are not standing on anything that you have done. You are standing on what the king of kings has done for you. So when you go to him, you go in boldness. Without fear. And that leads next to the next, the next point. Stand on his word and state your what? Your case. Stand on his word and what? State your case or state your cause. State your case. Tell him. Because again, you are not going with your own arguments. You are going to tell God, this is what your word said. This is what your what? Your word said. And because your word said this, then this is how this thing must pan out. Right? So our God is not a God that responds to reverse psychology. You know what reverse psychology is? What you want, you say the opposite of it. Or how you want things to be, you act like it's the opposite you want. Our God does not re respond to re reverse psychology tactics. Our God is not a God that responds to emotional blackmail too. When it's like you're trying to make him pity you 
to the point that he will look at you and say, uh-uh, it has, you, you, you suffer too much. He doesn't respect emotional blackmail. You cannot manipulate God. Right? You go to him, stand on his word, and state your case. And say, God, this is what your word says. This is what it says. And because your word says this, then this is what must happen to me. In Jesus' name. You get that by justification. Because justification has a legal connotation. Right? And this, our Christian life, also has a legal element to it. Because like we said, the devil is a legalist. But who is the greater legalist, the devil or Jesus? It's Jesus. Jesus defeated him. Defeated him on the cross. The devil did not even know the tactic that Jesus was going to use to defeat him. This is why the Bible says that if they had known, they would not have crucified the Son of Glory. If they knew that was what the plan was, they wouldn't have killed him. But as soon as he died, it was done. And the devil knew he was finished. That he didn't have a case anymore before God. So when he goes before God to accuse you, he doesn't have what? A case. So when you see something manifesting in your life and it does not agree with what God has said about you, you don't pity. You don't beat around the bush. You don't petition God like he has like 50 million requests and your own is 50 million and one. You stand on the word of God and what? You state your case. This last upon Mount Zion, we thought about making a covenant with God, right? Right? And we're all encouraged to make one. And those that have already made were encouraged to renew and remind God covenants. Do you know those covenants is a part of stating your case? Because you go to God and say, what well, we agreed. I will continue to do this and do this and do this for you. And in turn, you, you will not leave me. Or in turn, you give me this, 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 this. The specificity of it. And you say, your word says I should put you in remembrance. So I'm putting you in remembrance. And you pray. Because you were justified by a king. And he has declared you innocent and righteous before God. Nobody can condemn you. Doesn't matter what you have done. Doesn't matter how dirty the past is. It don't. You've been made clean, you've been made clean. <coughs> you can't go back. It's kind of race. Because it's God just. And so that's how we understand justification. And finally, <coughs> let's talk about adoption before we close today. Adoption. So please repeat after me. <coughs> I have been brought into the family of the King of Kings. And I am royalty. Say it again. I have been brought into the family of the King of Kings. And I am royalty. Please, can we look at Romans 8.15? Just briefly.
Romans 8.15. It says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of what? Adoption. Another version says sonship, whereby we cry what? Abba, Father. God is your father. Hmm? You have been brought into the family of the king of kings. Ephesians 1.5. Having predestined us to adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of what? Of his will. So God was not bullied into doing it. He did it by the good pleasure of what? Of his own will. It's what he wanted to do. It was what he wanted to do. I want to read Galatians 4, 6 here. Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, and it says, And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying what? Abba, Father. You are what? You are sons. Sons here is non-gender. It's for everyone, both male and what? Female. And so, what's the attitude that we should have, knowing that we are part of a royal family? Hmm? A royal family. The first is that all that the king has is what? Is yours. All that the king has is what? Is yours. When Jesus was leaving, he spoken about he spoke when he was praying for his disciples and praying for us and praying for himself in the book of John. He talked about how because the father never hid anything from him, that he himself will not what? Hide anything from us. He won't keep anything from us. That's the entire point of him giving us his spirit. Because all that the father has is what? Is yours. All that the king has belongs to you. And that moves nicely to the next point, which is what? Prosperity is your what? It's your right. It's your what? It's your right. Because no king is poor. No, daddy tells me a lot of stories about my uncle's past and my family members I never met. Great uncles, I be grand uncles. And one peculiar story that he has told me that I just picked out a point about royalty is that when they are looking for a new king in any land, they are looking for the ones that have what? I have money. If the old king dies and they want to select a new one, one of the criteria is it must have what? Substance. So he told me a story of a great uncle of mine who we have the same name, who they wanted to make him a king and he refused. But the qualification he had was he had what? Substance. If you were just walking the streets, would they come and meet him? Will it be because he's not part of that, he's not a member of that family? No. It's because rulership kingship, kingdoms and prosperity go what? Hand in hand. When you say a nation is falling, like now America is falling, right? If the economy of America is not falling, is America falling? No. The economy of America is falling because what? The, the, I mean, America is falling because the economy is what? It's falling. 
You cannot say a nation is falling and the economy is rising. Right? Those statements don't match. If you say a dynasty is or is crumbling, it is because losing its prosperity. It's losing its prosperity. And so, if you belong to the king of kings and your treasure is in heaven, and the God who said the cattle on a thousand hills are mine, is the same God that you have his family name, then prosperity is your what? It's your right. It's your right. It's not an option. It's your right. Total prosperity, health, wealth, spiritual, every is your what? It's your right. It's your right in Christ. And you must do everything in your power in this life to make sure that you claim it and you see it. Because it belongs to you. It belongs to who? To you. He has given it to you. Simply by virtue of the fact that you are in his family. So we need to recalibrate our thinking and our minds. And I'm sure we don't even need to say this too much in this church. We've said it enough. Prosperity is for you. And the third thing is what? You have authority in what? In this world. You have what? Authority. Because you are in the family of the king of kings. You have authority. Who gave you the authority? Jesus. Jesus, I've given you authority to trample on snakes and water and scorpions. And to overcome all the power of what? Of the enemy. He said, if two or three of you agree on anything on earth, it shall be established by what? My father in heaven. I said, whatever you permit on earth to be permitted in heaven. Whatever you disallow on earth to be disallowed in heaven. What is that? Authority. You have authority in this world. It's part of your royal um, royal rights. Right? You have authority. When Jesus was arrested in the book of John and he was being questioned by Pilate and he was saying that they accused him of saying he was the king and Jesus said what? My kingdom is not of this world. If it was of this world he would have what? Rallied his troops, right? And they would have released him and he would have gone. You see, he did not deny that he was a king. <laughs> what he said was, my kingdom is not of what? This world. What does that mean? It means that the powers and the authority of his kingdom do not match what operates within the world. You don't have authority because there's anything special about you in this life. Why, how can a small girl in China of eight-year-old be pastoring a church 
small children, 16 year old, a pastor in a church, and old men and women are there, adults with jobs, and that girl is laying her hands on them, and they are getting healed. And that tiny girl is casting out demons. What is it about her? Is it about her? No. But she's the daughter of a what? Of a king. And that king has authority. As these ones are growing, as they are like this, sleeping in church, <laughs> as they are growing, if this jubi should put her hand on someone and pray for the person, Jesus will honor that prayer and the person will get well. True of us. True. Why? Because she is the daughter of a king. And that king has what? Authority. And so do you. God uses children a lot because they, they have faith. It's easy for them to have faith. It's you people that you have become jaded <laughs> about life. That to have faith is a problem. But we see with them, it's not hard. It's not hard. Because once he can speak to them, they will just carry out what he says. That's how daddy told us a story of a young boy who, he was the one that God used in a family altar to tell his father that to convince his father to finally leave his job and go and do full-time ministry. It's not as if God has not been talking to the man, but he's, he has problems. And he has been thinking, how am I going to do it? How am I going to do it? He's been trying to balance the business and balance the everything. And in a family altar, they said the small boy to talk. And the boy started to preach. And say, you know, if God is telling you to do something and you are not doing it, you are resisting him, it's not good. Does he know he's talking to his father? No. He's just saying his own. He just what? His own. He might not even be able to comprehend the full import of what he's saying. But that thing is coming directly from his spirit. Because there's nothing disturbing his spirit. When he becomes like 1920, it will be more difficult. He now has to make more efforts to receive that smoothly. Because he's becoming jaded. But that authority is still there. And every one of us has it. Amen. And finally, you have to what? Mind how you conduct yourself. Again, because you are a representative of what? A royal family. I don't want to go into all the politics of the royal family in this, in this world because they are from corruptible seed, right? Over the last... How many years? The drama that has happened in England. The royal son and his new wife against the royal family. All the politicking and all that is because they are from corruptible what? Seed. But no matter what side of the divide you are on, whether you support the royal family or not, you think that they have a problem and they, prob- they definitely do. Right? 
It doesn't change the fact that the hill that the royal family is standing on is the hill of behavior, right? Because they are saying that you are not representing us well. Now, whether that representation is a good thing or a bad thing, whether they are right morally, it's a different conversation. It might be totally and completely wrong, but that's the hill that they are choosing to stand on. Representation, representing us because we are the royal family. And thousands of people are on their side. Right? Because it's a culture and a way of life. And you can contest whether the way of life is right or wrong. But it does not change the fact that that's how they have lived. And you decided to marry into what? Into them. And so that's an imperfect world with corruptible systems. But we do not belong to an imperfect kingdom or a corruptible king. We belong to a perfect king who is incorruptible. So we must truly represent his what? His family. We must be true representatives of his values. Of the kingdom values. Of what it means to be breathed by a king. Of what it means to be royalty. We cannot just live our lives anyhow. We cannot act like it doesn't matter. It matters. Because we are representatives of God on this earth. And it must affect the way we live. It must affect the way we conduct ourselves. Even people that don't know Jesus must be able to have a testimony about you and not really explain why. And those that know Jesus but have chosen not to follow him the way they are supposed to must be able to see you and see something different. Thank you for listening to this message. The Simple Gospel Church is a church arm of World Impact Ministries dedicated to taking the gospel all over the world. 